Hi. If you're anything like me, you probably sometimes want to know where my shirt is. Maybe that information was mentioned in a podcast somewhere, but how are you going to find it? Are you going to personally watch all the episodes of the Integral Stage and all the adjacent meta community podcasts hoping to stumble on the information? Don't be stupid, stupid. That's too long of time. How would you even know you're checking the right podcasts? Instead, go to the Apple App Store on the internets and get Fathom.fm. Fathom.fm is a meta-podcast platform that not only figures out which podcasts you should be listening to, but which parts of those podcasts contain the answers to the questions you're interested in. Fathom.fm is making podcasts searchable, instantly chapterizable, and transcribable, and training up teams of suspiciously intelligent AIs to do the work for us. The digital universe is becoming curated by conversations and interfaced with through automated dialogue processes. So if you want to put yourself in the best position for digital synchronicity and distributed sense-making this year, you may have to submit to our robot masters. Ask your doctor if cyborg interfacing is right for you. Fathom.fm. I, I do it. Welcome back, folks, non-folks, quasi-folks, whatever you got. This is a totally cash integral stage celebratory special that I'm calling Unlimited Hangout, a retrospective inquiry in which we'll be eulogizing and assimilating the Limited Hangout project, which is, of course, the still little-known but highly potent mark to beat when it comes to integral-level conspiracy theory and subject matter associated with marginalized sense-making styles. Hey, guys. Hey. Thanks for having us um let's do the narrative here how did you guys hook up how did you get started what was the mission and why is it concluding Corey, you want me to go or well yeah we might want to start with you doing your yeah the fact that your, your your face <laughs> well i mean Corg and i have known each other for some time uh including around the integral world and we were approached about 2018 um, by uh, someone who had also been around the integral world for a while, who uh, happened to do quite well for himself in the, in the crypto world. And, and he had a, he wanted to see a different, at that time, the integral dark web, not the integral dark web, the intellectual dark web or whatever, kind of had a, a moment. And, and this fellow wanted to see someone jump in the middle of that stream and he had a, a budget in mind and uh, for a project and and i thought well uh, i could do that we could do that and approached korg and uh we we jumped in um and you know i we were both already starting to get into paranormal uh material um and and also some parapolitical and or conspiracy or, or what what have you so but i think when we started Korg once joked, you know, it was like a little boutique thing that started and then the culture went nuts. I mean, everything from 2019 on or, you know, we just got swept up in this big, we were kind of swept up in the middle of everything that was going on from UFOs are real to Jeffrey Epstein and Kel himself to the pandemic to everything else. So um, I, I think it really morphed and flowed with all that, all that, that happened. And um and why is it ending now? I think it just felt like a time we thought it was going to be a two year project you know it's been four so we january 2019 is when we started and i think it just came to kind of a just that time i don't know maybe Corb can add, add some other elements yeah i think that's um 
Yeah, that's a good review and and definitely yeah, boutique is a word or we were, you know, kind of playing on some fringes and some fun elements and then all of a sudden a wave of events came that we were sort of just maybe a little ahead of and then just sort of surfed for a few years which turned out to be a really interesting dynamic to see all these seemingly odd strange highways and byways that we've been kind of interested in just kind of going with gut feeling actually become major topics that people in everyday life were talking about all of a sudden that that was a really surreal moment for sure but the obvious thing here is that uh one of you is concealed and one of you is not um <laughs> what, what's what are both your logics for the for the way you're showing up at the moment well, let me start because it'll be similar for Korg. I think when we started four years ago, um, you know, the culture war was pretty intense. I think it's flagged a little bit now, um, but cancel culture was very powerful, you know, and, and you know, parts of the insane left will come after you after your, your, your livelihood. Um, um, I didn't want them going after my wife's, you know, business or livelihood. Um, it's also I had two very young children at the time. And I just didn't really have a lot of extra in the tank to be arguing or fighting or fighting online or fighting in the comment section or, or, or whatever. And um, partly we've always said it was aesthetic too, you know, partly it was fun. Um, and also partly, I think four years ago, it felt slightly more dangerous to be talking about some of these topics. Uh, I don't feel that anymore, but certainly, certainly in the nineties into the two thousands, there was a lot of people who were uh, studying the, the parapolitical and the paranormal who, either were murdered uh, or suicided or had strange deaths. So it could be a, it could be a dangerous thing to be writing on. I think there's just too many people in the space. Now there's too many people with podcasts. There's too many people aware, you know, um, they can't, as, as Whitney Webb said, Whitney Webb said, they can't kill us all, you know? So, uh, so that was probably part of, you know, uh, that was another part of why we were um, loped or what have you for myself. Uh, you know, it just seems time. I want to speak in my own voice, but to be honest with you, layman, I, you know, I am a minister in the church and, you know, have a strong relationship with God. And, and last month in December, I was just cooking eggs one morning, uh, cooking breakfast for my kids. And I got this huge download that just said, it's time. I want you out in the court with your real name uh, and your full, you know, your full self. And so, you know, when that speaks, I listen. So that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> hmm. What about you, Korga? No egg-related uh, message from God? How come <laughs> not yet? Uh, not so far. Yeah, I'm, I mean, the thing Zeke Trev was talking about there, you know, certainly apply um, in terms of wanting to have a degree of, it's not a high degree, but at least some degree of some protection. So that seems wise. And, and, and even you know, when we started, we reasons that he laid out, you know, but also in a way it was like the Korg persona or the writing voice took on a bit of its own life in a fun way. So it was seemed right for me, at least for now, maybe at some point. Although if people figure out, I mean, yeah, you know, he's he's out now, so it won't take like Sherlock Holmes to figure out who I am. If anybody wants to, you know, go down that spend a bit of time, it won't be too hard to figure out behind this voice but um but yeah um which is fine but yeah it's, i just felt like the character deserved his you know final run here i guess 
Aesthetic integrity. I appreciate that. (laughs) I I will say real briefly too, that we had a pretty serious conversation in March of 2020 when, you know, the pandemic and just everything, Mm. all the shit seemed to be hitting the fan. And we, we had a kind of a moral discussion, like, should we be out? Um, So we almost decloaked then, but but I think it was right to wait. Trevor, you mentioned kind of two danger sets, right? One danger set might be people that wish to thwart certain kinds of discussions from taking place because they have some kind of control infrastructure that they've been trying to defend over the years. The other one is a certain kind of pseudo leftist danger. Mm. And that's interesting to me because it does seem like um, when we get involved in these topics, a lot of people have a tendency to end up going down right-wing rabbit holes Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people have a tendency to assume that anybody discussing these things has gone mm-hmm. down right wing rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your take on why that is? Well, I think it's a, it's a really important point you make. And I think what's unfortunate, I think that has more to do, honestly, with the last, let's go since Trump came down the escalator. So 2015 to now, everything's been flipped on its head, you know, in the history of, of, um, conspiracy research or parapolitical research, you have a lot of left leftists, you know, um, even still some of the elders like Joe Eugenio, uh, uh, Douglas Valentine, who wrote on the Phoenix program, these guys, they're all Democrat leftists. One of the greatest books on the JFK assassinations by a guy named Jim Douglas, um, classic um, minister leftist. I mean, the guy who coined the term, you know, who Corg and I love Peter Dale Scott uh, coined the term parapolitics. He, 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 uh, he, uh, popularized the term the deep state and he you know all these other he's a historian well he's a leftist poet at at berkeley and he was friends with chomsky and howard zinn so i it's unfortunate and you know the point i made too is that actually the left has been on the brunt of a lot of this uh clandestine covert actions by the cia and other intelligence opera you know uh so you know cointel pro famous things we know about operation chaos the left's been on the brunt of that so i think it's a weird time uh now where you know, uh, where everybody seemed to be on the right, if you're talking about this, but that it certainly just hasn't always been the case. But what I was trying to say there was that I think all of a sudden, if you look into this material, you're, a, you know, a mega loser, you're a whatever Nazi, all the things that they get said. So people kind of pull back or pull away or so there's been this division. I think it's unfortunate. It hasn't always been the case. You got a take on that cork? Why has this stuff become associated with the right, especially given what Trevor said about how often throughout history uh, it's been the left that's borne the brunt of these kind of assaults and the left that's tried to point out that other patterns were at play behind the mm. surface? Mm. Yeah, it is. It's a really important one. I, I got a couple thoughts. The first is the shift from I think the shift of of most of the left becoming neoliberal, becoming so dominated by neoliberalism is a big part of it. And so, you know, the 90s, like no logo and the anti-globalization kind of crowd of the 90s or the anti-war, the anti-Iraq war movement, you know, early 2000s, that was mostly a left-wing phenomenon in the bush and that was seen as like you know the power structure and if one was sort of opposed to that or saw shady business then one might find themselves on that side of it but through the 2000s you know neoliberalism controls the left 
at least in parliamentary or democratic places or political situations. And, and there's been a move away in the left, particularly in the US, but you can see it in Europe and Canada and elsewhere. So of like the white working class being kind of written off by the left due to various, you know, factors we could get into. And that crew becomes the basis of a right-wing anti-globalization movement. And they get it more into like nationalism, you know, they can have various more right-wing traditions of how they would uh, oppose a globalist kind of agenda. So I think that becomes a seedbed, starts on the internet, you know, Trump is sort of the high watermark, whatever you want to say of that movement but you can also see other nationalist types like bolsonaro or you know duarte or any of these kind of characters that are sort of trump-esque that have been popping up all over the place so i think that's one part of it is just that the left got really moved into the globalist framework so if you're anti-globalism you may have found yourself moving to the right into a more nationalistic kind of space the other one I would say, which has to do especially with the movement since 2020, is the weaponization of reason and of science. So if you really want to get out of liberal, you know, like liberalisms, like going back to its classical roots in the Western Enlightenment, we can argue about progressive policies, we can have arguments about race stuff and gender and all that. But if you really want to get it, I think at the core of liberalism, you attack, you, it's, it's reason. It's the argument about reason and rationality and the deep fundamental fear of anybody who identifies in that way of being called irrational or anti-science or a denier or any of these kind of loaded terms that are around. And I think the weaponization of science and scientism as a belief system has had a huge part to play um, in what's going on. So if someone is opposed to mainstream narratives, then they get labeled a believer in whatever system. And that seems to put them in a traditionalist, you know, theoretically right-wing kind of disposition. Those are yeah. the two, you know, two one main of the, things yeah, that pop into my head. The what stands out to me listening to that is this sense that um, the liberal modern system is a little bit of a hollow simulation of itself. And it's actually been breeding a lot of people who are pre-modern in their sensibilities and pretending mm -hmm. that they're modern just because they're participating in the system. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of a constant unveiling of the, of the uh, pre-rational orientation toward reason. There's not just scientism, but there's a kind of um, authority-based, consensus-based belief and membership culture around being a member of a rational uh, liberal society. Uh, it has this tendency to populate itself with people who aren't really embodying its, its value system. Um, another thing that leapt out at me was, you know, when I listen to people who are more right or more left, let's say, within the integral and the metamodern spaces, there's, there's a couple kinds of issues that stand out. On the meta-right, I hear a lot of people opening up to 
um, opening past the liberal, realizing that a lot of things that are important and valuable have been left mm. out of the dominant liberal narrative. Mm. So as they open to new kinds of topics, they're also opening sympathetically to uh, rural and traditional and mythic, all those kinds of sensibilities that have also been neglected. The irrational, the transrational, the right brain, all that kind of stuff makes them more sensitive to the right. Mm. And at the same time, the meta progressives and the integral left are so focused on a certain class of issues, um, economy, ecology, human rights, things like that, that they seem to me anxious about introducing additional conversation topics. They don't want conspiracy, paranormal. They don't want that to distract from the need to reformat the economy and take a hard shift on the way we're dealing with the environment. I'm wondering what you guys have seen over the last couple of years in how the higher discourse spaces are relating to these kind of themes that you deal with. Are, are they more open? Are they more closed? Have you seen any shifts? One of the things you, you said there, I, I want to want to highlight because you know uh, this sort of this re rejection of traditionalism. Um, uh, you know, from an integral perspective, it's obvious. It's the blue meme. It's just you know these things should be integrated. You know, I also think there's a distinction. Let me go back to your point in a minute. That it's a distinction between I've found come to understand a distinction between the far right. And when I think of that, I think honestly, like, um, well, the Nazis, far right politicians, like, and and conservatives. It's a difference because I've been around conservatives now for the last four or five years online. Uh, America First, Patriots, um, and you know, it's just there's good salt of the earth people. I mean, I just think there's a distinction needs to be made. Yeah, they might have a different view on abortion, or or um, you know, uh, might be more Christian or, or what have you. But I think the really hardcore, uh, you know, the the Alan Dulleses and those kind of fascists who who truly, you know, wanted to and continue to want to rule the world. It's different than just small C conservatives. Um, I would say on, I had to walk away from a lot of sort of left spaces, um, integral spaces online or what have you, because it seemed, um, it seemed very closed off to this conversation. And I just, I needed to, you know, go down my own road, do my own research. But uh, one of the, I, I will say one line that I really loved uh, from a guy named Michael Rechtenwald. And uh, I got to give him credit for this because he was a professor He's one of the first professors canceled in 2016. So he's a lifelong Marxist and he critiques what he's seeing in the woke kind of left and he gets canceled, loses his professorship in somewhere in New York city. And he has take, he's become, he's really changed, become a libertarian. He writes for the Mises Institute. And he's very, very critical. But one of the things an insight he had was that the left has had the, some people on the left anyway, or in the, uh, literati or, or, you know, the very educated class have had their narcissism weaponized against them because only stupid people will believe in conspiracies, only idiots and hicks and mega turds will. So, and they get to feel higher than that, you know, through this is weaponization, I think of the, of the media and the elite to, to really, so their own narcissism gets weaponized against them. And, you know, it, you don't, you don't have to scratch too far below the surface. I know Cor would agree to see, Lots of conspiring <laughs> going on, especially the economic realm. That's what's unfortunate to me. It's like when we talk about, you're talking about the left and you know, how we got to turn this economy around and everything else. But if you don't understand, in my opinion, that you know, the elite don't care about any of us and they have, there's a lot of clandestine covert. Uh, if we don't understand what they're up to, 
then this economy will never change. And they give us a lot of lip service of sort of utopic values, but it's not, that's not, that's not what they have in mind. So if we could pull the cloak back a little bit, I think we would be able to retake some of those economy pieces. Anyway, that's, I hope that makes sense. But anyway, Corbin. Yeah. And I think Whitney Webb, you referenced earlier, she has a series. I think she's done Mm -hmm. the first, she and her co-author. Ian Davis. yeah. Yeah. Ian Davis. They, They've done the first, at least the first part that I've read of what I think is going to be an ongoing series, which is the um, the parapolitical meets kind of the green agenda. Mm-hmm. So this would be kind of, this is one of the tricky parts about this world's parapolitical, because, you know, if it becomes an emotional culture war thing, then you're asked, you know, are you pro the environment or are you whatever pro gas and oil or whatever, or you're a non-believer or whatever and i'm pro care for the earth but that doesn't mean i automatically follow the way practically and the power agenda that's covering itself that's in this case we could say greenwashing or cloaking itself and care for the earth which is really and her article their article goes into profound depth about permits and how they've been developed from the same guys who created the derivatives markets that created the housing bubble um how it's going to lead to government private partnerships or transnational sort of entities basically getting the rights to fishing and minerals and farming in other countries it's just colonialism by another name that just happens to have this time instead of in the 19th century it was to christianize all the heathens supposedly and culture them now it's like now we got to save the earth but it's that same cover of saviorism masking really dark intense power intent and in this case it's covered by you know care for the earth so that if you oppose the specific policies then the immediate emotional response is you don't care about the earth what are you some shill for big oil you know, and then that's just a really easy way to shut it down. It's like, no, I care about the earth. I also just care about the people that you're going to use the earth, quote unquote, to be your cover for taking their land. That seems to be more of a problem to me. So it's tricky that positive, progressive visions and like Travis saying, utopic, well-valued systems can easily become the the rhetoric and the cover when but actually to dig into the policies and to see how power is actually operating you see that it's it's two different levels for sure and that level of analysis so i was just that level of analysis i think is not it's harder to do you know it takes more time and effort and it's not an easy like let me get in the comment section and zing back at somebody else like wait a minute this is actually a thing and it puts one in a difficult position because it's like i don't want to be a you know advocate for big corporate dynamics but i'm also not a advocate for these kind of uh permit based and so-called sustainability systems that are really just another version of kind of green colonialism there's a well i'll come back to the question i was going to ask because there's yeah. something interesting about what you just said which is the the importance of this depth of analysis and it takes time and it takes effort. And it's, you know, some of the good work you guys have been doing and putting that effort in. Um, 
I'm wondering how much of this attitudinal shift can be accomplished inwardly and how much it requires some kind of external analytical apparatus. Because when we look at the things that were just being discussed, we can say, well, of course, from an integral or developmental point of view, the uh, the artifacts, the ideas, the moods that go along with each of the levels, that's just content. Once they're created, anybody at any level can use that. It's something that seems like it comes from green or teal or whatever, can be used by orange systems, can be used by blue sensibilities. So we expect that and we would suggest that some kind of uh, authenticity of internal development would increase a person's uh, sophistication and depth and ability to hold those things and grow past that trickery. But is that enough, right? Uh, how much can be accomplished by internal development and how much do we need some additional resources of deeper deconstructive analysis on this stuff? I can take a crack at that first. I think it's a great question. Um, I think it's an important question because how do I want to put this without inflaming? Um, I mean, there's a lot of very spiritually realized people who have, you know, fallen for, for many um, cons, you know, by the elite, myself included, you know, uh, I've waked, woken up from that programming in phases and phases, you know, so just because you hit, Satori, you know, 10 times in whatever retreat, it, it you know, it doesn't, it, I don't somehow, and you'd be way more uh, capable of thinking this through in terms of <laughs> the complexities, the layman, but, um, the, you know, lots of very, very deep or spiritually uh, advanced people uh, have fallen for many uh, disguises. So I think, um, I think it's been important for me to really read history, you know, the, I'm, I feel very grateful for the last six months I took to really look into the 60s with the COINTELPRO, et cetera, et cetera, into things like Jonestown, into the facts of uh, Iran-Contra, uh, the drug running in the 80s. Once I start started to see that, and that's why with this series I'm writing called The Network, I want to give people want to give people a place where they can really take in that information and go, wow, you know, if you see the uh the, the heroin empires that the cia has created both in southeast asia and then in 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 afghanistan there's a third in there in the middle but um and just the carnage on these places this like you know once they're once the necessity was done of of, of you know just the carnage on those countries the addiction the heroin oh yeah burma was another one anyway you know once you sort of see those facts you're like I, anyway, for, I speak for myself and some people I know that have read my work and give me feedback. It's just like, wow, just, the scales come off in a little way, you know, that the when you have George H.W. Uh, uh, Bush in the 80s on TV, you know, as the drugs are speaking and you know, holding a piece of crack, going, this is a piece of crack and this is an you know, epidemic in our country, blah, blah, blah. We got to be on drugs. And he is the king of the operation bringing in the cocaine. So you see these people lie. And so I think the fact to me, the facts of history have helped really to open myself up to that. So I can speak for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we wrote quite a bit on in multiple articles is just the emotional. And we talked a little bit, about, I think the last time we were on, but the psychologically jarring and emotional titration and regulation while one is kind of on a path of having these scales come off and i agree with trav that 
you know, usually I, I find for folks who find their way into this world, it's usually like one topic, mm. whether it's, you know, the JFK assassination or UFOs or whatever, whatever the specific doorway is for someone. There's a point where we, there's a point where someone has to face like there's pieces of evidence that have been occluded. Mm-hmm. And that's where language about conspiracy theory is really unhelpful because then immediately it becomes like, do you believe these theories? Do you not believe them? Like it's some belief, you know, dogmatic kind of thing. But if you take, I don't know, JFK, you just have to be open to the other, the possibility of other pieces of data that got occluded. And then you can start to see through the existing narratives like magic bullets. You know, at some point when there's some kind of narrative that is attempting to be pushed to keep out other pieces of information, which may well be trying to hide some version of a conspiracy, then inevitably what happens is the story ends up with these farcical elements, like the normal kind of the stereotypical version of the conspiracy theories is like highly astute, you know, Machiavellian super geniuses who are writing up all these storylines down in some dark place somewhere. And they're coming out with this, you know, super sophisticated, but actually when you study them, they actually, they, they end up in farce, you know, like a bullet supposed to like flip around in midair and then fly against the laws of physics or Jeffrey Epstein decided to, take his life in a cell it just happened to be when the cameras were like it's just so over the top ludicrous that there's almost a point where i wonder like are people just effing with our minds like like there's it's so ridiculous like it's not highly sophisticated there are moments if you really look into these things that the gaps are so great that they have to come up with these just absolutely farcical explanations Mm -hmm. And it's at that moment that one is really like, oh, there's other pieces of evidence. The existing narrative starts to be seen through whatever the main version of events is that's meaning to include things. And then one has to be open to other potential hypotheses. And this is where it can get, this is where there are a number of ditches to fall in, I would say. Like there's a number of uh, dead ends And those are what we generally call junk conspiracy. Like at the point at which a person might be open to an alternative set of explanations, there are any number of disinfo campaigns and conspiracy, junk conspiracy kind of stuff that can kind of divert someone off into a strange subworld that is equally problematic as any kind of farcical mainstream narrative. And to be able to walk that middle road does help to have other people who have walked a similar path because it's very easy to get confused once one is taking the courageous step of dropping away from the imposed official narratives it doesn't automatically mean someone's going to wake get into a place of greater insight that can easily get diverted like kind of like pilgrim's progress there's like the slight you know like the pond of despair (laughs) it's like all these kind of you know, places that can become ditches, I think, in the road. And so we tried to really hew that middle road and talk about the emotional impacts of this kind of stuff and the individual transformation, but also being connected to the larger analytic point. I 
really appreciate the attempt because one of the one of the obvious ditches is just sort of confusion and overwhelm. Mm-hmm. A guy wrote that great book on uh, chaos on the government and the Manson family and his sort of 30 yeah. year investigation into it. And it's inter- Tom O'Neill. About yeah. that book is he doesn't really draw conclusions. He doesn't say, here's what happened. He says, yeah. this was going on and these things definitely didn't happen the way they were said. But mm-hmm. what leaves you with just a, a sense of the world that's so multifarious and so confused and so mysterious mm-hmm. You feel like you don't know where to go. And as you as you pick up these additional pieces of information and try to use them in your sense making, there's isn't there such a risk of overwhelm that you either don't want to hear this information or you want a very simple cartoonish story to take care of it because you need you needed to make a simplified sense in order to just take action in your own life. Most people don't have the resources or the time to stand in front of how uh, unbelievably peculiar and unintelligible and mysterious and multifarious this all is. Yeah, that's definitely a risk. And and just to talk about two, your last point too, or what Cor was talking about there with junk conspiracy, you know, I've really, it's been a learning on the ground lesson the last five years of uh, people get inserted all the time into those spaces to, dr- to drive people away with hopium. It's called uh fantastical stories of Nassara, Jassara, the, the, the whole reset of the economy. Oh my God. I mean, it, they have people get inserted, operatives get inserted in the space to drive people into crazy ends. So you're at risk in that space, but it's, it's fascinating. And we know that there's, you know, the UK has the 77th brigade, which is all online. I, I could go through the other intelligence agencies. They all have these, 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 these um, units, but um, in terms of the overwhelm, Corg, you go for a second to collect my thoughts. Okay. Yeah. One of the pieces that I wrote um, was taking Kubler-Ross's work around grief processing and applied it to kind of the parapolitical path and the sort of analog. So the time where there'll be denial, the time where there'll be a lot of anger and rage if the denial comes off to be like, we've been screwed with, I can't believe... And there's like, you know, then the period of like despair and potential compromise, periods of fear, possibilities. And it was a really interesting way to look, I thought, at when I started looking at these kind of sub pockets of groups of folks within this kind of world. I'm like, oh, I can see this person is in kind of the resignation, despair place. And then maybe they'll move through that. And so I think not that it's all just about our own individual emotional processing because there are objective factors at play but to to have this kind of to walk this path does involve an internal death and rebirth like it just does and there are they don't have to follow the exact linear model that's just a model but just one way of trying to help make sense of how emotionally um powerful but also intense it can be to come up against the re- the revelation that there's a whole we call it underground but it keeps showing up above ground i mean that's like epstein would be a classic example there it's these moments where peter dale scott's term you know the deep state it's where the deep and where a deep event occurs where this 
occluded layer of political and social reality, which involves typically criminal syndicates, black markets, intelligence agencies, complicated global corporate banking scenarios, public-private partnership dynamics, these kind of actors, when they go from being somewhat behind the curtain or just off screen for just a moment show up right front and center stage and then for a moment there's a bit of an opening and then immediately the existing narrative structure has to come in with again these ultimately farcical attempts to close that door immediately and move that you know exit stage left at that point and so the things that seem anomalous or mysterious are only so in terms of the existing worldview, the dominant narrative, they become less, they're not fully transparent, but they become definitely less opaque, far less opaque when we have a framework that's open to this kind of data and then tries to develop a worldview that makes plausible things like these kinds of events of whether it's assassinations or whether it's drug running or whether it's follow the money or the way in which colonialism can show back up under the green agenda, they become less surprising, truthfully. And I, I would add to what I remember what I was uh, going to say, which is that over time, uh, Corgan and I did a presentation on the STOA. People might want to check it out. Um, and we just went through some, some core concepts because um, or the pattern of these players, mostly intelligence agencies in, in, in league with, as Cork says, often um, organized crime, but their pattern, their playbook's pretty limited and you can get to know it. So like your, your couple examples, agent provocateurs, um, classic used all the time. And we have whistleblowers uh, over the years, uh, Lewis Tackwood in 1972, he was uh, a great example of a whistleblower who was who an agent provocateur. Uh, Patsy's. I mean, classic thing is a patsy, you know, and they're very useful. <laughs> so when you get to know the playbook and another one I throw out there and we, we talked about in, in that talk, but is is the, the false flag, right? Now, it's funny when we started writing uh, uh, Limited Hangout, the false flag was something that was still like, oh, it's just conspiracy theorists talk about. It's actually a long history with them. They're very effective as well. But it was funny. I don't know if you noticed this, Cord, but right before the, the, well, the beginning of the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, or somewhere in that start of that war, the Western media started saying uh, Russia is going to do a false flag. <laughs> and I was like, what? You're just talking about this now? So, but the playbook's quite limited, actually, and it's, it's very repetitive. And so I think, you know, what we've both been trying to do and I'll try to continue to do, and I've learned from a lot of others and, and uh, is give people those tools. I mean, one thing I would might suggest to people is this book here. It's brand new. It's a citizen's guide to fifth generational warfare, written by Michael General or General Michael Flynn and and another guy Boone Cutler, who was who was in the psychological warfare division. Um, that's just come out. It's a huge bestseller, and it's a basically it's a workbook. But you're going to get all these concepts uh, uh, in there, and people can really help to. Uh, it's put out so that we can be defensive against these operations because five generational warfare. Um, as we switch from fourth generational, which is uh, sort of, uh, what am I, you know, um, insurgencies and, um, well, I'm a, you know, little bands of little bands of, uh, gorillas who, you know, uh, that kind of thing, um, to it's a war for the narrative. It's a war for the mind. It's psi war. And so 
um, once we can start to see the how those things work, then we can pick them off pretty quickly. And it's been awesome to watch over the past three, four years, people really grow in capacity and strength. When I mean people like all across Twitter to Telegram to, you know, at the beginning of the Ukraine war again, it was like, hey, that's an old video game. Or people are looking at a photo and they're like, Shh, and they're like, no, that's from 2011. It's like, you know, ah, that's fake foot. I mean, there's guys with and there was people just nailing them within hours, you know, I mean, back in the day when the weapons of mass destruction in going, you know, Iraq, that lie took us, what, four years, five years, 10 years before we had to could admit that it was a lie. Now in like hours, <laughs> people are calling out the ops. And I think that's great. We're becoming stronger uh, to this kind of um, persuasion or engineering. So, yeah. That's great. That's very edifying because uh, it seems like it's very easy to become completely like omni-distrustful once right. you start to see the edges and complexities yeah. that are involved. But if there's a fairly limited repertoire, if you only have to learn a certain alphabet of yeah. moves, uh, yeah. that's that's quite plausible. We could all learn a small alphabet of moves. So totally. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you guys uh, avoid the problem of becoming the uh, the distressed, relationally dysfunctional profit figure, right? Because <laughs> when people pick up some of the additional facts or even the possibility of additional facts, very often they they just want to insist them to everybody else all the time. And it ruins their relationships and it ruins their credibility. And people in general often don't take the topic seriously merely because these people are such communicatively deranged figures who are always insisting everyone else agree about these additional facts. So how do you guys uh, sidestep that pitfall? Want me to go core or you want to start? Yeah. <laughs> okay uh yeah there's the there's a learning curve for sure don't know how far along that i am but i find well first i don't like to sort of start to impose that i don't find this my like i'm more interested in if a person start to express an opinion or the topics that i do find that are a little more that don't immediately like if you start going off on like the jfk assassination or <laughs> like that's not the place to start typically or you know paperclip and we brought in all these nazis after world war ii and like that's probably maybe not the place always to start but um i'm really fascinated by um the whole you know angle of this work that is human origins and like the pyramids and are they far older than we thought they were so this can be kind of the graham hancock randall carlson kind of and others kind of topic which is you know an interesting one at the moment because hancock's documentary is on netflix and he got a bunch of pushback and people want to shut it down and cancel him and whatever but um that seems to be maybe one area that's kind of more because just opens up a possibility of like I don't know what's going on there. I actually don't. I don't think any of us know what's potentially really going on in those cases, but it doesn't have quite the nefarious element right off the top that some of the others that would be more present, political, war, you know, death, destruction, assassination are obviously going to bring in like a different level of it's going to heighten the emotionality where it's like maybe these kind of story that we were all just like in these small little hunter gatherer bands and then somehow we just like 
built pyramids, you know, because we had some logs and we rolled around, you know, ten tons stones on some logs. Maybe that doesn't really make a lot of sense. It seems to be a, maybe a gentler entry point for one, and then certainly kind of the other one that's real popular at the moment, obviously, is the UFO phenomenon. And so if people start to ask about that, then I'll, you know, say what I think. And again, it's really helpful to talk about, I find, the distinction between a level of data and evidence that might be currently anomalous and to distinguish or differentiate that from the hypotheses. So like in the Graham Hancock example, the data that he's taking is the data that's being occluded by mainstream archaeology, like that there's water erosion on the Sphinx. And the, if the Sphinx is as old as the official story is, it doesn't make any sense because it was a desert then. But there's a time where there was a lot of rainfall, it would just be a lot earlier. So that's like a piece of data. He's then got a hypothesis. He has his account of how he's trying to make sense of and interpret this kind of anomalous data which for him is a pre-flood, pre-Younger Dryas cataclysm civilization that mostly got wiped out and left these remnants. Now, that hypothesis may or may not eventually play out, or maybe in parts it will, or maybe it needs to be revived as hypotheses get to be you know, further tested. But what he's pointing to, first and foremost, is the data that's not being taken into account by the mainstream narrative. Like somebody might come up with an alternative equally or potentially even more plausible hypothesis. I don't know what that would be, but they would at least take that data seriously. His main beef is that they're writing off so much of this data because it doesn't exist. It doesn't fit their existing narrative. And so the ability to talk about the data level, whether it's the UFO phenomenon, which doesn't mean you have to believe in an extraterrestrial hypothesis to explain that phenomenon or there's all this wild, weird stuff with pyramids and the Sphinx got water on it and Gobekli Tepe and we were supposed to be hunter-gatherers and then we were supposed to figure out agriculture and then we were supposed to build temples, but it turns out the temples are older than agriculture, so there goes that story. At least at that level, it's getting first to the opening to different possibilities without a, immediately trying to impose a narrative of how that should be interpreted, I find is a more helpful entry point. And from my end, I would say, you know, what you point out is it, is it really a big, it's a big danger. A lot of people do it, like the proselytizer. It's the same as getting, you know, finding Jesus and they got to tell everybody, you know, um, it's a real pitfall. Um, I have, haven't have done that, but I, I, I will say it's been hard to live over the last five years uh, in a certain way. You know, uh, sometimes it can feel very lonely, you know, uh, when I'm with my, my in-laws or when I'm with, you know, gathering with neighbors, having barbecues, uh, you know, it's mostly just me biting my tongue, but, um, and that's okay. You know, and I just try to focus on things that we have in common, food, kids, life, whatever. I don't, you know, I'd stay out of it, but, and if people ask part of why, you know, coming, coming out now too, if people want to have this conversation, the world has been pretty damn wacky over the past four or five years. Um, I'm happy to, um, and I've written a lot that they could be pointed towards or happy to talk about it. I, I would say that the, I don't know if it's a blessing, but reality has given us a lot of things over the last five years. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Bill Cosby's in jail, uh, Weinstein's in jail. Um, you know, the Glenn Maxwell's in jail. Uh, Epstein thing. You know, government's now admitting the UFOs are real. Um, 
I could go down the line here, but there's a lot of sort of facts on the table uh, over the last decade too. We've known that the pedophilia rings that were in the, I should, this is probably going on YouTube, but I'll, I'll try in that Catholic church, you know, that's now knowledge rather than these are a lot of things that were, were in the past, only in the sort of the realm of rumors or conspiracy. But um, so that helps. I would say my, my, my wife had an experience recently at her workplace where someone was uh, over lunch mocking conspiracy theorists or whatever. And, and, and my wife just said to him, yeah, do you know who Jeffrey Epstein is? And she's like, no, never, never heard of that person. Oh, well, you should check it out. You know, Blaine Maxwell's in jail and they're running an operation. For 20 years. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Maybe I'll go today. Look, you know, so, and I also had like, you know, there's other things that happened, you know, people, you know, they'll come to, come to you and they're like, really something wasn't adding up. You know, they're being lied to. You can look at the Twitter files. Now we know that, you know, all that censorship was happening, you know, um, and and they're like, wow, this is crazy. And they're like, yeah, man, totally. Let's talk about it. You know, let's have a beer. Um, I had my my cleaner. She was an awesome woman. Um, she she was really thrown off during the pandemic. And 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 she'd seen my books kicking around my table for my <laughs> writing. She's like, do you think sometime we could have coffee? I've seen your books. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, you know. I, I try to wait for invitations, but the, the proselytizer is extremely annoying, and I know it's a problem. It's it's interesting to think about the culture changing a little bit. Like, on the one hand, we've got uh, a lot more information, so it's a lot easier to find things. Uh, we're in a shift in terms of what the dominant media is, so there might be there's like an in-between space where you can say a bunch of stuff because the old information controllers are losing power relative to the new systems. There's the fact that the world seems objectively to have gotten so strange. Yes. Uh, and uh, we keep not solving our crises. So I think there's a, a burgeoning sense of all options on the table now. Yeah. Uh, but that's in the world. What about in you guys? What's what's changed for you over four years of doing this project? Cord? Yeah. It's a great question. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I one of the pieces I wrote was back to something Trevor was talking about earlier, you know, uh, whether you want to think of them as an integral lingo, separate lines of development or whatever, but um, how one might have, and this was certainly through my own experience in this, like a path that was more oriented to a classically spiritual awakening and then have missed the boat on this part of side of things so i was trying to reincorporate the language of you know woke not in like the way it's been but the way it's become but the way it was originally meant as a kind of a awakening of a conscience of a different understanding um not in a sort of metaphysical but in a more political and social reality and the piece with the cooler ross was was a reflection certainly in my own experience of a period of a whole lot of rage and a period of a whole lot of fear and a period of a whole lot of grief and periods coming close to despair right so how those have moved through in the kubler ross thing there's acceptance as stage five but then some of our students came up with sort of a stage six which is like creative action not just getting to a place of acceptance but then like a forward movement and i certainly feel like as we're closing 
you know, this chapter with the project, I feel like my energy wants to move that way now. I definitely feel not like one's ever over it or whatever, but there's definitely been a threshold of transformation that has been crossed that I'm like able to talk about this topic now. Obviously it has emotional tenor because if we're talking about the really rough stuff, it's rough, but in a way that's not dysregulating in a way that just feels normal. I feel like I have a right-sized view of both not underestimating the network and various forces and psychological operations. I've studied enough of the history to know how hidden, but also influential and in many cases, very destructive it's been. But also not to get into another version that can happen in the conspiracy world, which I would see as more like a variation of a black pill or a kind of despair place, which is like, the controllers, you know, the committee that controls and runs the world and what can we do? And I don't want to fall into that kind of a resignation space either. Um, yeah. Gnostic. Yeah, exactly. For myself, I think reflecting here, it's a great question. Um, I'm happy as someone who, who, you know, in my early twenties, I had that sense, you know, like in the matrix or Morpheus says, you know, says, you know, you've had a sense all your life. You didn't know what it was, but something was wrong. You know, I've always felt that, you know? And so I became, I have an anarchist tattoo on my hand. I became, you know, I deeply read in Marxism and, and, you know, uh, political economy and things like that. And, and I, I'm grateful that I was, I found my way into parapolitics and understanding that the, it's not just capitalism, in my opinion, you know, or whatever. It, it, the elite have a religion, which is something that's important. They they have various worldviews. Uh, they're pro eugenics, uh, you know. They're they're uh, Malthusians, and understanding their this is the Western elite I'm talking about, uh, the Anglo American establishment. You know, to understand them and their goals, and um, has been very helpful to 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 seeing what's wrong and why it, it's 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 wrong, you know. I've, you know, I, when I, I first was, my first red pill was around 2012. We don't have to get in that story, but it was around human trafficking, child trafficking, and um, and various Christian organizations that work with that. And and at that time, I, I had like a stain, like a black stain on my soul that lasted for like six months. I was just sick. And that's gone away, and, and I don't really feel that any, anymore. I, I, I just, you know, I put on the armor of God. I feel good. There's, there's I, don't, I don't feel negative in that way. And, you know, as Korg says, you know, the black pilling is a real problem with a lot of people in the parapolitical conspiracy world. Uh, and it's too monolithic, in my opinion, and everything, the whole system is rotten. And it's actually not, I've come to understand that's very not true. People have been fighting back. There's all kinds of whistleblowers in every agency, all kinds of people have been fighting back internally to this kind of, I would call it evil. Um, and and I, it's not fully corrupt. It's not, you know. And I also... I would say over the last five years, it's been fun to be in those networks on the Telegram and the Gab and the Twitter of, of people all across the world, because what we've gone through has been very, you know, it was a global thing, uh, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic and, and it was very lockstep in messaging and what happened. So, and there's been, it's been awesome to watch people kind of in different stages awaken to some of that. And then. Um, I don't know. It's like a, it's a giant band of our, you know, band of uh, soldiers. And, you know, there's been a lot of laughter. I mean, there's a lot the meme warfare has been great. Honestly, every night there's like two, three memes. I see that I just like gut laugh. Um, that, that, that's just funny shit. So the human spirit's alive. I think, I think honestly, um, 
humanity is 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 maturing and growing in a certain way. I think there has been a darkness under this surface that has been very hidden and has been you know. I think uh, what do we one, one one time we were on with you, Layman. We used that term from uh, oh oh Twin Peaks, the Garmin Bosia. You know how the, you know, the, guy, the guy eats our Garmin Bosia, and I think these Western elite have been doing that, and it's been making us very very sick. And I think now it's on the stage, and the fight is we know what's going. You know, it's a little bit more over, and um, I think this is positive. So, you know, I think I think the future could be very positive, but. Um, you know, it's a, it's a daily, it's a daily, it's a daily fight. I'm curious what you guys look back on as um, pieces that you contributed to this project that you're the proudest of. What are you really happy to have written or created for this thing? It was a piece I wrote on um, scientism as a cover for as a public cover for magic still being practiced and understood um, in certain circles. So officially we live in a kind of secular scientistic frame and then behind the scenes, the history certainly since Newton on and earlier is that all these guys are also into like hermeticism, they're into magic, they're into the occult, <laughs> they're into some interesting stuff. And and if you get rid of the notion of consciousness and intentionality as publicly real, then it allows a certain segment to control it and to, and to use it. Mm -hmm. And the example I use is the first episode of Neil deGrasse Tyson's second season of Cosmos. And the first story that he tells in episode one is about Giordano Bruno. And he tell they tell the tale in a limited hangout but you know hence the answer <laughs> so limited hangout is when you leak some of the information but then you keep another part hidden and you spin it in a way that allows you to still control it even though it appears like it's been a leak or it's been a discovery of some op or whatever and so bruno in this version of you know pbs cosmos is the great martyr for science against the evil institutional church and of course that's part of the story but they leave out the whole part where bruno's understandings and 500 years ahead of time 400 years ahead of time presaging thoughts about einsteinian cosmology came from a mystical experience and as well as his whole criticism of the banking structure and how that may have played into things his whole possibility that he was part of a secret society the whole setup is that he's this kind of martyr for reason but bruno was also a magician and a and a realizer and that part of the story gets completely left out as well as the way in which the church of today that magisterium is not the church it's that old guard of scientism are really the magisterium. So they take this character who's actually completely shows you that intentionality, psi phenomenon, conscious reality, and the paranormal is completely real. And they're using him as their martyr for their scientism. So that to me, I think has been a really, it was quite a thing to like, 
do the research for that piece and then see that come up and be like, oh my God, this is literally in my, like, here it is. Like, this is literally the episode that's showing exactly what we're talking about. So that's one that I spent a lot of time on. Yeah. Uh, for myself, um, I've done a series of long form posts and a sort of little body of work has come out of it. And I'm glad for all of it. You know, I did one on called Naomi Klein's Bridge and it's on MK Ultra and neoliberalism and um, the weaponization of social science research then and now, uh, one a big one on the spectacle. So, you know, I think that body of research has been very edifying for myself. But again, I think as part of fifth generational warfare, we're in information warfare. So I'm trying to give, you know, put the, do the work. Lovely, we had this lovely benefactor and we were getting paid to do it and do the work so that people who didn't have time could read it and, uh, you know, get, get a quick bite, bite chunk, well, in 45 minutes or whatever, but the, um, and then lately has come out this series I'm calling, I've been calling the network and I will continue that on my, uh, on my Substack. stack. Uh, my Substack is named, I was hoping it was going to be ready by this interview, but it, it's taken me a while to put some of these posts back in the back end because of all the links and everything, but it's called take the sword. And uh, if you look at Ezekiel 73 in about three weeks and take the sword, uh, I'll continue that, that, series on the network the next one will be on watergate and then we'll get into jonestown and a whole, whole bunch of other things and, and again it's just um hel helping people to know some of this history and um to see you know to read for themselves again i don't want to get bogged down in jonestown but some of these things are so nefarious and, and, and you know uh yeah it's just it's it just be a history basically of all those different uh scandals that went on uh the BC, you know bank of commerce and the bcci scandal savings and loan scandal in the 80s there's so much that went down I mean, these, these people are crooks they're absolute crooks it's like you know the 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 ruling uh, political elite are basically organized crime in my opinion but and if you don't believe me then read that series and you'll see it's 100 true <laughs> so uh i'm i'm proud of that again it's just my contribution to the information war the other one yeah i mean there was so many topics we Oh, Corgrove. Yeah, <laughs> the um, there were a lot that I wrote on the UFO phenomenon was another main um, and then and the ways that it showed up in all kinds of in, in a sort of angular or just obliquely or this kind of strange entry point into places that. So we used a lot of. I mean, the subtitle of the site was uh, around ontological flooding, which is a term from Jack Hunter. Um, which allowed us to talk, bring in things like a trauma lens in relationship to abduction phenomena and how might that play if we bring these two kind of models together in a way that, and let them kind of be creatively in friction with each other. Um, so there's a whole slew or series on, on UFOs as well. Yeah. I've, to I've told Cork it could easily be a, a standalone book, all his writings on, on that field. Yeah. I just had a conversation yesterday with a guy who's hoping to create a what he was calling like a meta modern space to infuse the disclosure movement around UFOs. Mm -hmm. And it left me thinking, um, what do we need? I mean, we have some things you guys have got resources out there, you know, Stuart Davis created his experiencer group and Sean Hargens has got the Institute for Exo Studies, all of that's in the UFO space. Mm -hmm. uh, but it shows that some people, some of the meta community is orienting toward it. What do mm -hmm. we still need? What, what does the space of these paraphysical and paranormal and anomalous um, ideas, 
need in order to take it forward in a way that's responsible and conforms to the sensibility of higher integrative thinking. Can I take a crack at that real quick? Yeah, yeah. jump in. Well, um, thing that comes up for me, I think what needs to be known is uh, Korg and I are both a fan of uh, someone called dark journalist, Daniel List. And he, he's very good. I mean, he's, he's fact-based. He knows his stuff. I mean, this is, it's, it's quality. And he's as good as anybody on, on, on this, this disclosure, this, this realm. And he talks about something called, well, the UFO file. And it's, it's amazing. It's been at the heart all along. I mean, JFK, Nixon, the whole way, this UFO file. And he says, there's also a group called X protect. And they're basically essentially an assassination squad of any, there's a Pete, there's a part of the elite who wants to keep this because there's, there's tech involved and there's tech that honestly could free humanity involved and they want to keep it to themselves. But actually the, he, he talks about dark journalist talks about another group, actually, what does he call them? X disclosure X. But my point here is his work is very good, but you have to understand that there's a lot at stake, you know, and even, right now there's 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 a wrestling in various parts of i don't see the the quote unquote deep state in in america as monolithic i see it as kind of has um, factions and so there's there's a wrestling match going on currently but i the only point i would just make is that yeah we got to get let's go deep down or just have to understand that there's there's a lot of stake here and there's there's um there's been a lot of violence committed <laughs> to keep that that hidden um, and but why and maybe Cork can talk more about this and it goes back to the um, this conversation about ecology and everything else because you know zero point energy or free energy are these things that they're they're being suppressed uh, and they have been many people have had their patents ripped off many people have been just their lives destroyed who who were working trying to create their own of these so there's something big big at stake in the heart of that and I guess I I, I just put that on the table we have to understand that problem as we approach it but Cork. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, even just, I think a few days ago, I read, I don't know what the update is, but Randall Carlson, I think, right, taped an interview with Joe Rogan. Yep. And Randall Crazy. Carlson's, if you don't know who he is, he's this fascinating polymath naturalist. I don't even know what to call him, but character who's been really interested in this idea of catastrophism and there's a thing called the younger dryas which maybe was a series of meteor showers and that connects back to the graham hancock idea and stories of global floods and things which they're taking as maybe remembered history anyway randall carlson did a taped a thing with joe rogan that was about some guy who's working on a similar call it abundant energy or zero point or free energy or over unity or whatever you want to call it and they've, for the moment, maybe that's going to change by the time this comes out or later, like they've put it on hold. Like, and oh, I'm yeah. not sure even why. <laughs> like they're not sure they're going to publish it or not because it could cause some, I don't know, controversy or whatever. So that's, yeah, I, I think you're right. Try like at the heart of, I mean, just even the the thing itself, like in the, the TikTok video, which is the one out of San Diego and that's been big in terms of the, U.S. Defense Department admitting the reality of UFOs, whatever that means. These, whatever we're calling it, phenomena, you know, is a violation of the textbook physics that everyone learns in school. So right off the bat there, you've got every door, potential door that that opens up 
we don't have to think that they're necessarily spacemen from outer space who are going to bring you know intergalactic harmony and peace or whatever. but like just if we get away from the various kind of hypotheses and even the more sort of out there ones like something is occurring in that phenomenon that is both consciousness oriented and simultaneously physical and its physical reality has consciousness effects and consciousness somehow is affecting the physicality and there goes scientism and there goes materialism plus if it has the ability to be as Richard Dolan would say you never see a UFO parked at a gas station like up its tank right like if it's powered by and has some other elegance or it has some ability to tap existing energy in nature in a very elegant fashion then we've got questions about all the various corporate power structures around energy and energy management and energy sustainability and control and distribution i mean it does it's that one it's like one you pull that thread that whole sweater can can come undone and so for sure the history the major history of psychological operations for since the end of World War II and before around this specific phenomenon indicates that there's some serious heat there, whatever's exactly at the nature of that phenomenon. Yeah, can I add oh, one thing? Yeah. I remember um, uh, how Dark Journalist puts it. He says, people who, who research a lot of the parapolitical, they don't do enough paranormal. And people who are in the paranormal don't do enough of the parapolitical. And in, in this, and in this case, is, is is the case for that. The two sides need to come together, you know, because they're. Let's just take the JFK assassination. There's a whole, there's 50, 60 years of excellent scholarship on that. But the UFO file, he wanted to open that up. He wanted to open. He wanted to discuss it with the Russians. He wanted to bring that forth. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason. It's one of the other reasons I believe he was assassinated. But that's there. That's playing out, you know, and it continues to play out um so anyway bringing those two things together and i'll just say real quickly that there's a book called hidden energy and it's got two women who are the authors and it's a bunch of essays in there and one of them i will say i think jian is her name but she was trained in spiral dynamics so uh just so it's not that kooky it's close to this integral world too um hidden energy and it's all about this um yeah this suppression of, of these technologies that really changed the game here on earth yeah and richard dolan's great you know one of he wrote these two volumes of which is kind of the magisterial study of encounters with this phenomenon by uh air force and military the world over and he covers i don't know 40 years or something and the two volumes and the, the main conclusion he draws from all of that research is that the ufo phenomenon is like the the most important hidden element of the entire geopolitical reality of the 20th century you know that the cold war as we understand it is not just a cold war between the us and the soviets and the remnants of the post-nazi factions that went in either direction but is actually also an entire psychological operation to keep hidden this phenomenon so that's right. pretty wild to think of it as having that level of an influence in our so-called above ground history um and then to have 60 years 70 years of anybody who talks about this subject as a kook and it's all you know your tinfoil hat and you're a nutter 
and then for the you know u.s like the navy and the air force be like oh yeah they're real <laughs> and they just kind of let them just kind of walk off stage and to drop that in the middle of everybody going you know because all the quarantines and the shutdowns and all this madness is going on and in the midst of that madness they're just like oh by the way ufos are real and then they just immediately dart off stage it's like wait a minute what what the hell so what's that all about how do you switch what's behind the switch from the official version that it's all weather balloons and you know people with disturbed dreams and whatnot to okay it's real now we're just going to walk off stage and what's that presaging so yeah that's times funny. interesting times to be alive that's for sure what does the future of revelations look like um based on how this one went that you can put out that amount of information to make that kind of a public confession and yeah basically everything still holds together so maybe it's safe to just stop covering things up <laughs> there you go <laughs> the adults about it yeah all right people had affairs people got assassinated whatever i mean yeah yeah fair enough it, it was funny though watching that people's reaction to that people were like yeah yeah that's cool <laughs> i was watching a stand-up comedian who was talking about uh, the ufo thing getting dropped in COVID, and the line that struck with me is like so i told my wife apparently ufos are real and she just went about her day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the CIA has a Twitter page, There's the which is already itself kind of a what is going on in the world that exists. But they on um, was it wasn't it a Halloween thing? Do you remember this one, Trev? Where they where they said, "Oh, by the way, we've faked alien abductions." Ha ha. And I think it was supposed to be like a Halloween themed joke. But like, yeah, there are times where they have it's actually disturbing stories it's not like and it's on the cia twitter page but it's they faked them being aliens to abduct people and do psychological operations and torture people and try to get information from that that actually really happened whatever else is occurring vis-a-vis -vis this phenomenon it itself can be faked this is a real mind bender right like it's like it's not just like, oh, the whole thing's fake. That means the CIA faked the whole thing. They could be faking something real. Like a, a counterfeiting is the example that's often brought up for people who do that kind of research. It's like they counterfeit real bills. You don't counterfeit money that doesn't exist because that won't get you anywhere. You, If you're fake printing money or counterfeiting, you're doing real money. So there's something strange about counterfeiting something that may also itself be real. The, it's very difficult, it seems, to get a feel for how to hold the danger of this stuff. You know, when you guys start talking about the level of investment, mm -hmm. um, the level of danger, all that, all the forces that are involved, it triggers warning bells for people. You go, well, are they exaggerating? how potent this is, how dangerous that is. But on the other hand, when you start to look into the records and dig into a lot of the additional data, you go, well, there's pretty consistent patterns of awful things happening here. So, you know, given the tendency of all of us emotionally to exaggerate danger and mm -hmm. given the fact that there are real dangers at play, which we have difficulty emotionally taking seriously, how do you gauge how careful to be, how worried to be? 
Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, I, what you asked earlier, you know, how, how have I changed in this process? And I think, uh, especially around issues of, of, uh, child trafficking and things like this, I, I become, uh, much more, how do I say this? I, I'm very much more protective of my children where I let them go and be, and, you know, um, because these things are real. Um, and at the same time, when I talk to my son, it's like, you know, I said, there's bad people in the world. There's some bad people in the world, but you know what? I love the world. I love this life. I love the earth. I love eating. I love singing. I love dancing. I love animals. Um, life's great. I love it. And there's, there's danger. There's real evil in the cosmos. And some people, you know, through their own abuse and trauma, you know, participate in, in that. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I try to hold you know, a middle ground, definitely the, the, that power, that dangerous power who's, they're homicidal, but they're not, they're also stupid. They're arrogant. They're um, in a bubble, you know? Yeah. They have assassins. Okay. They, they, they do. I mean, the, you know, the mafia had a, like certain mafia, one mafia group had like a hundred hitmen. Okay. Like they have, they have assassins, but um, I don't think we need to be afraid of it. Ultimately. I think the more awareness, you know, awareness shines light and into that darkness. It's in, in a, and I think m more and more people are becoming aware, throwing off of the television, throwing off of the news. You know, it, it, I don't, so there's two answers that I answered that question two ways. One about my son and one I don't think ultimately it, it's as dangerous as, as we might, might think. Yeah. I think um, we were talking earlier about like learning the playbook, learning the tactics of um, the English translation is psychological operations or psychological uh, warfare, but the literal translation from the German term is worldview warfare, which was a term coined by the Nazis, of course. Um, so if you think of it as warfare on worldview and on sense-making, then it's important to understand the nature of the tactics and the strategies involved in said war. Because one is a, unfortunately, participant in that climate, whether or not you want to be or not. You know, it's a war chosen not by me or any of us, but imposed upon. Um, so I think of it in terms of that level of responsibility so that I'm not as much as possible getting hoodwinked by these tactics. And then, because I want to be aware and I want to be uh, cognizant when some of the shadiness is afoot. Um, but also, like Travis saying, like, I just want to like creatively live life. I'm not, I don't want it to be like that this is the, the reality and then somehow I'm in only relationship to this. Like, this reality is important, <clears throat> this parapolitical one that we've been describing, because it's very easy to bypass it, because it is really uncomfortable, because there is some dark stuff, because there is brutality in history, and it's easier just to act like that's not real. But on the other hand, it's no good to just fall and collapse into it, as we were talking earlier about black pills as if like this is the whole reality is just these guys control or whoever they control the whole world and everything that happens. No, yeah. but it's important to know that there are forces that are hell bent and have been for quite some time 
on, you know, like Peter Thiel's got a company named Palantir, which is a, a minority report pre-crime AI type thing. The Palantir, for those of you who remember your Tolkien, your Lord of the Rings, the Palantiri are seeing stones that Sauron creates and uses to confuse the mind of Saruman and to turn him evil. It's the, it, they're surveillance objects. <laughs> That's Saruman, the all-seeing eye, couldn't get a more perfect literary description of surveillance system, creates seeing stones to watch people and to mess with their minds. And that's who he named the company after. Right? When, we're, when we're talking about these, like, oh, is these highly sophisticated? It's behind the scenes. It's pretty out in the open for to, to advocate for a value that, like, who else, like, read all the Lord of the Rings books or watched the movies and thought to yourself that, like, Sauron's the good guy? Who, like, that's the kind of a worldview we're talking about. That's a very distorted I would say, view of the world. If you're naming the company in honor of surveillance objects of the all-seeing eye, that tells something right away that to me it's not good. So I want to be aware of that and aware that, back to our discussion right at the beginning of like, how did the left get pulled off of conspiracy of all the people, as we talked about at the beginning, who should be worried about surveillance and the history of COINTELPRO and you know, the infiltration of the civil rights movement and the Black Panthers and you name it, it ought to be the left. And here's a perfect example of it playing out yet again in our time, a more advanced, sophisticated version technologically, but the same game, just with fancier computers now, but literally named in honor of Sauron, which is nuts that it's that up front. I would add a couple other pieces if I can real quickly. I mean, um, one thing that pops to mind is, you know, I don't, Whitney Webb has her new two books, One Nation Under Blackmail. And of course she's doing a lot of um, interviews and I listen to probably, I don't know, 10, 15. Um, and a lot of interviewers will ask her, like, are you scared? You know, knowing the history of journal, you know, journalists like uh, Gary Webb or, or Danny Casalero. Um, and she just said, I'm not going to live like that. You know, uh, they, they, you know, mm-hmm. they, they can't kill us all. And I'm, I refuse to live like that. We can't live in fear of these people, you know? And another thing I would say is more and more people become aware of sort of things like the World Economic Forum, and which is, you know, formed by the CIA and you can read Johnny Vedmore's work on Unlimited Hangout, but um, not our site on Whitney website. But, you know, a lot of people had eyes on. There's a lot of eyes on this year. And, you know, and these people just look buffoonish, you know, uh, Coach Schwab just looks nuts. It's like this guy's out of a... You know, like at the beat, like the comedy version, someone make up about a James Bond movie. It's like these guys, it's like all the Bond villains in one room just staying as stupid as shit. So, you know, I think that's helpful too. A lot of people are listening to these guys going, this guy's people is crazy. They're just in a bubble, you know, and how many yes men are around them, you know? Oh, that was great. That was great. You know, it went great job. Great speech. You know, imagine all the yes men around Bill Gates, you know, oh, that was it. You did, you handled that Epstein question really well. You know, uh, these guys are, you know, so I don't think, as much as they can have violence as a weapon, I don't think they're that that scary or even that smart at this point. So you've got this um, phenomenon that occurs socially involving networks and individuals uh, who can marshal elite resources, uh, but who are 
have the dumbness of regular people and are somewhat socially retarded by the structure <laughs> the interfaces set up around them and they operate um dangerously with yeah. homicide lethality as a parapolitical uh layer of organization in our system with special emphasis on paranormal anomalous and advanced tech areas mm-hmm. so all of that is a, is a like a classic evil conspiracy is there any significant good conspiracy from the data you guys have looked at are there any networks of people who understand and use these things but are doing it benevolently or is that just a kind of fantasy that's a great question (laughs) well i mean the word conspiracy means literally to breathe with to breathe together to conspire so there's actually christian theology referring to the life of the trinity the doctrine and christianity of the godhead as a conspiracy as a conspiring a breathing together of the divine persons in that system so conspiracy just means anytime people have that level of intimacy and connection we could say literally the word just means that they breathe together now it's typically become you know like a group gets together and they want to you know depose the king or something or take a run a coup and so they're a conspiracy or some local crime lord pays off the police or the judges or the mayor or something and then you have a conspiracy but really anytime people are getting together to conspire then the intentionality might actually be for goodness they might just be breathing together based on the idea that they want to you know build communal networks of love and solidarity so i think there's lots of conspiracies going on <laughs> both of the benevolent and of the not so benevolent kind um we got to be on the lookout for both actually i think oh man you're opening up such a can of worms with this question man but uh <laughs> I'm going to give you two answers, a, a non-answer, and then I'll, 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 I'll do something else. But um, I, I have followed the Q, QAnon phenomenon since the very beginning. Um, I was a participant observer in it. I wrote five articles on it. Um, and so I, I could, you know, I could go into that material and it continues um, or, or, or other, other material such as uh, devolution. There's people who um you know think that the currently the united states government is under continuity of government operations but i will leave that aside uh, i mean i could talk i'm as part of my worldview i will be writing about it so i'm not going to hide on that but it will just it's just it's a fraught subject because the 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 counter op from the media against it's been actually very successful and so it's almost impossible to get inside that but i will say this that i have found over the past six months of researching into the network uh material there was a book I think I sent it to you, Corb, but it's kind of resurfaced. I'd never heard about it before, but it was uh, oh Carl Oglesby, who was a leftist, was a part of the students, SBG students, anyway, uh, real left, it was a really strident kind of left society or a uh, group. Um, and he wrote a book in 1977 called The Cowboy Yankee War, and mm. it was subtitled Conspiracies from JFK to Watergate. And what he argued, his thesis in there, and again, I've also just started hearing it over the past six months in different podcasts, but was that there is a 
there's a nationalist element in the United States, deep state, and there's this globalist one that comes from the Anglo-American establishment. And they've been at loggerheads. So I say mm-hmm. nationalists, I mean, they're, 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 they're into the founding fathers, the U.S. Constitution. They're patriots. They like the, you know, that system. And they've been at loggerheads fighting each other for, for a long time. And, and one of the, it'd be too long to go into, but one of the most amazing stories, and I will write about it in the upcoming, in these series, was there, there's, there's a, um, there was a group, and these are real people, in the late 90s of former CIA officers, one of them, uh, Chuck Hayes is the famous one, uh, he was called, what was he, the angel of death or something, but these guys, they went rogue because the government had been so, so infiltrated with corruption. They went rogue and they had a copy of the promise software. It's a whole nother thing, but they could get in the back door of a lot of things. And they were, they were finding all the, this corruption uh, in senators and they were getting it all in uh, like finding where their, where the, the bank accounts and they were getting these whole files on these people. And they went, um, they went to them and dropped it off and said, you either, you're not running for re-election again, or you, you know, you, you're, you're done basically. And they claim to have had, you know, 30 different senators and congressmen uh, do that. Um, eventually Chuck Hayes was uh, set up by the FBI. Um, he, and his, and his trial um, has been, the transcripts of his trial have never come out. They've been deemed national security. So that's just one example. There's lots. Um, uh, so I do think there are forces. Um, I would say I see the battle at this point between sovereign sovereignty and globalism. And there, I think there is forces around the world, say the BRICS coalition and things like that, that are tired of being dominated by the Western elite. And there's lots to show that they've been, um, you know, uh, working together to sort of make a multipolar war world rather. Sorry. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things I would say. And, and then the last thing I would just say is, Ben, it's back to the public. I mean, they can't stop millions and millions of aware people with eyes on them. They just mm-hmm. can't stop that. And, you know, some people refer to it as the Great Awakening, uh, whatever. I do think whatever you want to call it, that is occurring for sure. And it's happened to me. I'm taking a part in it. And I think, yeah, it's just growing exponentially. And they're they're screwed with that being the case. The um, maybe this is the last question. Um, there are these meta communities of people trying to do new sense making, whether it's mm-hmm. integral, meta modern, game B, overlapping mm-hmm. and penetrating communities. Um, but their attempt to bring together all kinds of different forms of knowing and all kinds of different value systems, all kinds of different disciplines. Uh, to create a large, integrated, good operating system for collectively making sense of the world we live in, uh, it seems in general to be dominated by a consensus view of what the fragments are that we need to integrate. There's a lot of tendency to leave out the kinds of anomalous facts, whatever they turn out to be, in their precision that you guys keep pointing to. Um, How... You know, how far do you think those communities can get without folding in these extra facts? Can it be largely successful or is it significantly hamstrung by not paying attention to these kinds of epistemological domains that you guys are exploring? Mm. Let me take that first. Yeah, go for it. 
I, I've come to pretty strongly believe that they will get absolutely nowhere in that project without what we're talking about, integrating it. And um, I wrote a piece called What's the Deal with Kevin Spacey? And then it was subtitled Or the Problem with Game B. And I just think that if we don't understand the clandestine, the, uh, yeah, if we don't understand what the elites, who they are, I think there's like a lot of psychopathy in the elites, a lot of psychopaths. And then we'll, we'll get, we'll get nowhere with all the pretty words in the world. We'll get nowhere unless we understand that they have an agenda. Uh, it's not hidden. Klaus Schwab writes about it in his books. <laughs> the elite have written about, they, they write it openly, you know, uh, right out and then the right in their books, their agenda is very open. And, and we're going to get nowhere unless we resist that agenda, you know, understand it, like, you know, especially central bank digital currencies. To me, that's the end. We're done if that happens. Um, so just understanding their agenda, uh, understanding, um, you know, how blackmail works. I think Whitney's, Whitney Webb's book is very, very important and it's fact-based, right? Because you can compromise politicians, you can compromise stars and the stars tell the people what to think. And I mean, it just, just and, and it goes way back to the twenties. It's fascinating stuff. So I think we don't understand the rot in the system and how it perpetuates itself. We can integrate all the things in the world. Hey, how about we just integrate these pieces too? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I want to be a part of those conversations. I wish, you know, I was hoping on the site to write more about like Bigfoot and fun stuff, but it's like I came to I came to realize, oh shit, no, like this, like we we're screwed if we don't know this layer of reality is happening. That's my answer. Hmm. Yeah. Strong answer. I would say um on more the anomalous sort of interior experience side, not not as a bypass to what Trev just said, but just in the supplement to or addition to. Because as we've been saying throughout, like the two go hand in hand. I mean, the whole at the root of much of the whole forms of um large scale um experiments on human beings that became the base of what we call MK Ultra shorthand for a whole series of stuff. Um you know, was dosing people with LSD, was hypnosis techniques. It was it was parapsychological phenomena at the core of it. It wasn't ancillary. It was right at the heart of it. So if those kind of communities are coming together and they're going to leave out hypnagogic states, shamanic dream work, uh, plant medicine communication. I mean, some of them will talk about some of those aspects and others not so much. Those are domains that I think, again, back like in the UFO phenomenon, have a lot of potential creativity associated with them, but they also have ways to be distorted and weaponized. And so I don't think we're going to get through the various crises that are before us through greater application of only, not, I shouldn't say we're throwing it out, but just like more, you know, five-year management plans and more like sustainability goals. And here's how we hold, you know, uphold ourselves. And here's how we rationally get through this difficult, right? Like we're going to have to tap different modes of knowing, different modes of feeling, different modes of intelligence that I think have been part of our human story for a long time and maybe got pushed aside for a couple hundred years 
but that zone is not itself it's it's ambivalent it has both possibilities to benevolence and less than benevolence and can be intentionally manipulated and that is at the heart of this whole parapolitical it's not just drug running it's not just i mean there's all that assassinations you can go you know there's that side of it that seems very still very secular and parapolitical or conspiratorial but it, any deep dive into this immediately touches into parapsychological phenomena are at the heart of this whole thing and there's some piece of knowing sensing intelligence that is the heart of it that has been weaponized and we need to regain that understanding in order to move forward i think can, can i add one thing to that core on that side of things um it's why it's important i think to i have over time i i one last time we talked layman i mentioned that jeremy johnson got me into rune or eric davis's podcast and that's when i heard, started learning about magic and and all that all those rounds animism and all these different things and then eventually got to you know, rune soup and gordon white and who's a chaos magician so i've come to believe that 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 there's reality there there's there's you know there you can do magic and the elite do it and they do ritual magic on us and they have rituals and and our favorite person who interprets this his name is christopher knowles Secret Sun blogspot. He's been doing it for 25 years. But, you know, if we don't, if we're not, and they, they, you know, elites will do a whole bunch of different things on exact astrological dates. And, you know, Gordon White calls these power multipliers. You might not, you might get some extra out of it. Doesn't mean they're like total sorcerers on us, but they are doing this stuff. And so in one piece I wrote, I called, they said the, the greatest conspiracy of all time is scientific, scientific materialism. The fact that we, we had that whole world, that animistic, world taken away from us in a debt into a deadened world and then they get to continue to use use these practices when we don't even know they're occurring so i think it th those things need to be reintegrated um you know there's white magic and black magic we can use we can connect anyway we can use that as well but if we don't know that it's constantly being used um we're just sitting ducks you know Well, I don't know if I would call this retrospective celebratory, but maybe <laughs> with a cautiously optimistic twinge. Yeah. <laughs> and I real, real say briefly just mentioned that we did, uh, we had about, I think it was what, $12,000 left in the budget. And uh, um, when we decided to shut down the project and we have donated that to the integral stage. So you're doing great work, man. I was seeing how, how many different yeah. like brands do you have? Like how many shows do you have? Like, 15 or i was like it's pretty amazing you're pretty prolific but that's it's great and thanks you yeah. know for giving us a platform mm -hmm. uh to to talk about as you say these things that might need to be integrated we think so i'd love to meet anybody in these meta modern worlds who um wants to talk or whatever but anyway uh keep doing the great work and i'm happy that we could just you know throw a little bones your way appreciate mm -hmm. it man. thank you mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah, it's thanks for having us on um, all the times we've been on and um, yeah, for the support. And it's it's definitely a it's an, a bit wild and weird uh, of a subject matter to to tackle. But yeah, I think I've, uh, throughout this whole conversation, we're just trying to say there's been a lot of events that have occurred that don't make sense within the narratives and most of us were raised in True. and 
back to this idea of like trying to take data seriously and then trying to make our sense making take seriously data that otherwise just gets written off. That's really all we've been trying to do. And this is a whole series of data that shows that there have been various, you know, organized forms of interference and nefariousness and that that doesn't rule the world, but it also can't just be bypassed or pretended like it's not real. Um, it needs to be faced directly. It needs to be understood because it's ongoing. It's not just something in the past. It has plenty of history. You can study the history and that history is important because that history is still present reality. And hopefully I think that shines a light. And then as Trez been saying, there's humor, there's creativity, there's goodness. Um, when we have that kind of materialism or scientism is the greatest conspiracy it's not actually allowing us to be in touch with real materiality and so when we're getting to a layer of deeper embodiment and real connection to life and goodness and our humanity and nature that's where i find hope and that's where i find inspiration and source of a sense of goodness and a possibility of creative efforts forward